Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface Darren Lewis the assistant editor at the Mirror and TalkSport's football commentator and transfer man Alex Crook 5-4 Tottenham score 4 away from home but fail to win and now they visit Manchester City with their defence cut to shreds also this Saturday, Leicester take on Liverpool with Rodgers out to ruin his former club's chances of any sort of title defence. Vardy is back and Liverpool look out of sorts. Potter and Smith clash at the Amex as Brighton, known for keeping it tight on occasion, take on Villa who love a thriller. Also lead to go to Arsenal. You thought things had got better for Arteta. They ain't. And we talk about Everton, Fulham, West Brom and Manchester United as well. Can you really rule the Red Devils out of the title hunt? All on the podcast that, like Carlo Ancelotti, sips its coffee and says, we've seen it all before. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Wow, what a week of FA Cup football we have had in the Premier League just around the corner. I'm delighted to say that Darren Lewis and Alex Crook are here. Darren, hello. How are you? I'm very well. Can hardly catch my breath. All this football. Oof. Well, what a game I was at last night. Uh, 5-4, Tottenham Hotspur beaten by Everton. It was terrific. Absolutely thrill a minute. And the only person that I know that didn't like it was Jose Mourinho. uh, Because he once, of course, famously uh, called a 5-4 a disgrace, a hockey score. And I I was sitting there during the commentary last night thinking, this is brilliant, this is brilliant. Trevor Sinclair and I really eulogising about how lucky we were to be at the game and thinking actually the only person who doesn't want to be here is Jose because <laughs> this is his worst nightmare but it was a thriller minute ride wasn't it Crook? Yeah I think you can add uh, our talk sport colleague Hugh Wozencroft to the list of people who didn't enjoy it he described it on Twitter as quotes a boring 5-4 oh Hugh <laughs> He's, he's a difficult man to please. I thought it was absolutely sensational. And, and it's just like Jose, isn't it, to, to serve up a nine-goal thriller like that. He's been doing that for, for decades. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right, well, let's see if he serves up another one this week. Well, he might do, but he just might end up conceding nine goals when they take on Manchester City. It forms part of a terrific Saturday of action. We've got two massive games for you. Leicester, Liverpool and City against Tottenham, plus Brighton against Villa as well, all live on game day on TalkSport. Manchester City are two of the greatest teams that have been involved in, in, in the whole history of the Premier League. So naturally, people will, will talk about them. Oh, the, oh, what a finish! 
We'll see where we finish up. Long, long way to go. Liverpool are on their knees and City are running away with it. Liverpool 1, Manchester City 4. You have to win football games. If you do that often enough, then you have to, then you, then there's a specific moment in the season when it's clear. Okay, now we go for it. Oh, Salah again. Spectacular effort. Top far corner. You have to accept the reality and do that and we will fight. We will fight for results. It's difficult to know where to start, really. Leicester against Liverpool is 12.30. Pep says Liverpool aren't finished yet in the title race. But 10 points back with City having a game in hand. I'm not so sure that they're still in the title race, but they certainly will be out of it if they drop points at Leicester City, which is distinctly possible, Darren Lewis. It is distinctly possible that they could drop points at Leicester given their poor away record so far this season. What's not distinctly possible is that City will lose it from here. They've got fantastic defensive strength. They've got goals from everywhere, even though they don't have arguably the greatest striker of the last decade in Sergio Aguero, um, certainly in the Premier League. Um, They just look like a well-oiled machine. There is an argument for saying if they did have an injury to Diaz, then City might lose some of their defensive leadership. But from here it's really stretching credulity to suggest that they're going to throw it away now. Everyone else is thriving away from home this season, but Liverpool have dropped points in seven of their last 11 league games are on the road. There's something off, isn't there? Something off kilter about Liverpool, Alex. Yeah, and there has been for most of the season. We all remember that famous uh, 7-2 defeat against Aston Villa. I think I've mentioned before, they've struggled to, to keep up with the intensity that, that Jurgen Klopp demands. And on the subjects of Jurgen Klopp, I think we should all give him our best wishes at this uh, very difficult time. And I think that really puts into sharp perspective that, that football is just a game and, and some things are more important. But um, I think it's worth pointing out, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people noticed that Jurgen Klopp's personality had changed slightly. Yeah. And there wasn't much of an explanation for that. But as we understand it, his mother passed away from COVID. He wasn't allowed to visit her at the very end. And that obviously is going to have a devastating effect. It doesn't matter who you are and what walk of life you're in. No, and in most normal walks of life, you would get some kind of compassionate leave, but football doesn't stop even in these moments of bereavement. And yeah, it probably does explain why Jurgen Klopp has been a a bit spikier in his post and pre-match press conferences than than we are used to. I think as journalists, we all need to cut him a bit of slack now, but football is relentless. And uh, this is another huge game for Liverpool in, in terms of their aspirations for the season, which I think is now about qualify with the top four as opposed to retaining their title. Uh, Leicester unbeaten in eight matches in all competitions. So this is going to be a difficult game for Liverpool, although I didn't think the Foxes were anywhere near their best against Brighton. In fact, you could argue they were lucky to get through that FA Cup tie. I thought Jamie Vardy coming back from injury looked a bit jaded. I'm not completely sure that he is anywhere near full match fitness. And of course, they lost James Justin, carried off on a stretcher. They'll be hoping that that injury isn't as serious as first feared. So... I don't think they're going to be facing a Leicester side on full throttle this weekend, Liverpool. Um, they ground out that win, didn't they, in midweek, despite a host of changes. I think that's worth pointing out as well. They made quite a few changes yeah. in that game, uh, Brendan Rodgers and his team. Um, they've already beaten Manchester City, Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal and drawn with Manchester United. This is a club, though, isn't it? A team that thrive on the big occasion, Darren. They are. And I also think they thrive on the fact that everyone looks at the top four, sees Leicester, thinks there are bigger clubs surrounding them. They won't last the distance. And I think that's what 
inspires them to keep proving people wrong. Everyone just keeps writing them off. It's almost as if people don't see them. So they talk about Chelsea coming now with a late run now that Tuchel's got them motoring again, scoring goals, keeping clean sheets. And they talk about, I don't know, somehow not quite writing off Spurs, even though Spurs just can't defend for Toffee. Um, but I think we've got to give Leicester that respect. Rodgers has got fantastic man management skills. He takes the pressure off his players and he's developing some good young stars there. They've got a fantastic tactical framework to work within. They're doing superbly. Yeah, I, I do think that they are overachieving in terms of their expected goals, but people probably are more likely uh, to be pointing to the fact that actually um, they dropped off last year, which is why they're slightly... You're worrying because I looked at my watch, aren't you? You think I was, I was timing yeah. you how long your answer was. I wasn't. <laughs> I just got a notification about uh, Britain's coldest ever temperature. Um, and I wanted to have a look at it. I wanted to know what it was because obviously as someone spends quite a lot of time outside, uh, the idea of the temperature falling to uh, 22.9 degrees below zero is, is concerning to me. I wasn't, I, I wasn't timing your answer. I mean, you know, if I did, my stopwatch probably would have gone around a few times. <laughs> so uh, the best quote of the week for me was Kalichi Iheanacho actually on his 94th minute winner over Brighton. He said, I couldn't be bothered with extra time. It's freezing. <laughs> Um, 11 goals he's scored this season um, and he doesn't play that often really um, but they do have to play slightly differently when he's the lead striker um, and he is useful but he's different and Chris Uelamo was on Talk Sport this week and he was saying you know this guy has actually got quality and I think anybody who watched Manchester City's youth teams knows how much of a force he can be but you have to get the best out of him by playing to his strengths. He likes to come shorter. He likes to drop deeper. He likes to spin in behind and then get uh, uh, on the end of crosses, is what, which is what he did against Brighton. Yeah, I think you've been very kind to him, though. He's actually scored five goals this season, Iheanacho. He's scored 11 goals in 17 FA Cup games over the course of his career. So I think he'd like you as his stats man um, moving forward, oh Iheanacho. Where, where, where have I got that from? <laughs> I think from the stat pack, where you've just misread it. You're right. I completely missed that. Up. I just had to double check because I didn't think that Ionacho was in double figures this season. For me, if Leicester is serious about qualifying for the Champions League and challenging for titles, he probably isn't good enough. Uh, look, you know, Caliccio and Nacho, if you want to uh, come round to my house, I will uh, sort out your new contract. Don't worry about that. I've got some great stats for you. <laughs> Uh, right, okay. Uh, wh wh where do you think the destination of the three points is going to go from this uh, game, Darren Lewis? I think they'll go to Leicester. I think uh, Liverpool's Ooh. poor run. And they, they just look a fractured side at the moment. Um, I, I just think Leicester have more about them. I don't really read anything into the FA Cup victory. I think it's the Premier League where they really come alive. And I think Leicester will win. Okay, Manchester City against Tottenham, 5.30 Saturday, live on Talk Sport. They've won the last five at home without conceding Manchester City. Hold on, just check that stat. Yep, that's right. Um, right now, Spurs <laughs> can't defend. Uh, they've lost four of their last five. But if anyone can raise their team to put a spanner in Pep's works, it's Jose, Alex. Uh, yes, under normal circumstances, but... All isn't well um, at Tottenham for me. When they part the bus, they struggle to kill teams off. When they play expansive football, their back line leaks goals for fun. I think we probably saw in that Everton game, as, as much as it was a joy for us, Jose Mourinho would have hated every second. But what it does expose is the fact that defensively, 
uh, Tottenham aren't strong enough at the moment. They need reinforcements in, in that area and that's probably why he's been so reticent to take the handbrake off this season. Clearly they can't go toe-to-toe with Manchester City because if it turns into a basketball match, there will only be one winner. City, 14 wins in a row in all competitions. I mean, fair play to Swansea, one of the few teams that have actually managed to put the ball in the back of the Manchester City net in recent weeks. Obviously, we've seen last season Jose doing a job on Pep. I just don't think Tottenham are in a good enough place to do that this term. And I can only see Manchester City winning the game and further strengthening their grip on the title. Sorry, it's it's 15 wins in a row. Um, I don't know where you got those stats from. I think you might have misread the uh, stats pack there, uh, Alex, but it's actually 15 wins in a row. Uh, it's also 14, isn't it? So I mean, I'm not wrong. I mean, Ma- Manchester City might want you as their stats man. I think we need to sharpen up our act here. Let's go to Darren Lewis. Tottenham have uh, picked up a couple of good results against Manchester City, but their win in November, where they won by uh, two goals to nil, um, so Manchester City have 22 shots and Tottenham only have four. I mean, is this another sort of revert to type performance in the offing for, for Spurs or um, is the luck going to run out? I know you think... I, um my answers are quite lengthy so I'll keep this one quite simple Spurs can't defend to save their lives and City are defensively at the moment invincible I think that while Spurs have a mistake in them in almost every game I can't see anything other than a City victory I can't even make the case for Spurs getting a point out of this Spurs knew two new defenders in the summer until they get them, they'll continue to be a little bit of a defensive mess. But what's and happened with I, Eric Dyer? Because, it, I mean, Jose says he's had a crisis of confidence. He made a couple of mistakes. I mean, I don't entirely think that the Liverpool one was totally down to him. Hugo Lloris didn't come and pick the ball up either. And the Chelsea one, yeah, OK, he, he got a little bit tangled with Timo Werner. But, I mean, he still is probably their best defender, isn't he? That underlines a point. He's a midfielder. He's not a defender. And until Spurs address that, it did for uh, Pochettino. The, the defence were over the hill and it's undermining the good work that Mourinho's doing at, at the club now. They need to put him into midfield and actually go out and spend some money on a defender because the clubs that are doing well in the top four, Leicester, Suyuncu, went out and bought a defender. Uh, City, Diaz, went out and got a defender. Well, went out and got a couple. Um Spurs are just nowhere near it. Until they address that, we're going to have the same conversations every podcast. Uh, Kane went ahead of Bobby Smith um, in the goal-scoring chance this week. Uh, Only Jimmy Greaves ahead of him. It's uh, admirable that he wants to stay, but will he ever win anything of any significance if he does? No, is the simple answer. I think at the moment, Kane looks like he's more motivated by personal glory in terms of breaking records, breaking Tottenham's goal-scoring record, overtaking Alan Shearer than he is in putting a trophy on the mantelpiece. And I do wonder uh, if he does choose to stay at Tottenham, as admirable that would be when he retires, will he regret that decision? Because, listen, they might pick up the odd league cup along the way, although history tells us they've not really done that in the past 20 years or so. He isn't going to challenge for Premier League titles and Champions League trophies staying at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I I think that I feel sorry for Kane in a way because he loves the club. As you said, he's second only behind Greaves in terms of scoring goals. And he wants to lead them to silverware, but Spurs won't invest enough in a team to be able for that to happen. Their ambition doesn't match his, quite simply. Have they got the right manager now, though? Um, I 
think they have, but the problem has never really been the manager. The problem has been the squad. The squad is stale. The squad needs overhauling. They make too many transfer mistakes. They should have signed Bruno Fernandes. They had a free run at him the summer before he went to Manchester United because they went out of the Champions League and there he was and they were negotiating for him and they decided they didn't want to pay the money and bought Bruno La Celso instead. They must cry every night over that decision. <laughs> you know, uh, I think as far as they are concerned, until they start to get that right, they will always fall prey to the bigger clubs. And I can see a big, big club, a Liverpool, a City, coming in with big money in the summer and saying, we want Kane. And I don't know if Spurs will be able to repel them like they could before. I wonder whether or not, though, that was always going to be something that's going to end up being rebuffed because Kane doesn't want to move on elsewhere. But there might be a possibility that someone might come in and pinch Son Heung-min because his loyalties aren't to Tottenham Hotspur. And he's so important. I mean, just getting the two of them on the pitch last night when Kane came on, Tottenham are a different animal with Son and Kane in the side. And I Going think you're forward. Right. Going forward, yeah. they were. Yeah, I think big clubs in Europe will be looking at Son. He's a selfless player, but he scores goals, he assists goals. And as you say... He strikes me as someone who possibly is a bit more determined to win trophies and a bit more ambitious than Harry Kane. But I guess the the comparison that you would draw would be with Alan Shearer, who famously turned down Manchester United not once but twice. First to go to Blackburn, that worked out okay. He won the Premier League title. Then to go to Newcastle, lost a couple of FA Cup finals. And I wonder in his heart of hearts, if you say to Alan Shearer now, I know you played for your boyhood club, do you regret not going to Manchester United? They signed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer instead. He scored the winner in the Champions League final. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Crosses left foot and it's guided in by Connolly and Brighton do have an early goal. The good thing for us is the results have been positive and it's amazing what happens when you're getting good results. And it's down and in by Sonny March and there is the equaliser and Brighton have come from behind. We're looking forward to the next match, we'll try our best, we'll be ready. Ollie Watkins inside two minutes, Aston Villa off to a dream start. I don't set them any targets apart from being ready for the next game and going in and performing. Here's Grealish in the penalty area, Grealish puts it on his right foot and puts it in the back of the net. Keep speaking to the players, if we want to be a top team then we have to keep playing to them standards. 
8 p.m. Saturday night, Brighton against Villa live on Talk Sport. Crook, you're commentating on this one. Uh, Graham Potter actually thought that they were the better team in midweek when they lost to Leicester in the FA Cup. Um, but um, they have tested the best, haven't they? How much problem uh, will they cause Aston Villa? Yeah, I think Brighton are in a good vein at the moment, and I do agree with Graham Potter. They, they were the better side up until the final third, and it's been the story of their season. They play lovely football. They just don't score enough goals. The reason they've been picking up points lately is because they've stopped conceding at the other end. I think having Sanchez in goal, a safe pair of hands, has certainly helped with that. Um, confidence is high and I think they will cause Aston Villa problems but you can't see Brighton going out and scoring two or three goals whereas Aston Villa clearly do have a goal threat with the likes of Grealish and Watkins so I think that that could be problematic for Graham Potter I think definitely top of his shopping list in the summer is someone who's going to stick away this plethora of chances that they managed to create Uh, Villa are stealthily Darren in the hunt for a Champions League place aren't they you know, win their two games in hand and they are fourth. And no one's really mentioning that as a possibility. Does that actually sort of help them in a way? Yes, it does. I think when you look at the pattern of the, the Premier League in this season, this chaotic season, it's very much snakes and... Well, it has been snakes and ladders until now. I think we know who's going to win the league. Um, but in relation to the places behind them, it's wide open. But because of our traditional biases towards the big clubs, we don't actually consider Villa. We don't consider Everton. We don't consider West Ham. And we don't consider Leicester. Because we've got that kind of, don't we, that traditional bias that the big clubs will always fill. And you will point to statistics that say that, and and rightly so, clubs normally fill the big slots. But I think this season... It's, it's all over the place. And it's absolutely possible that Villa could upset the apple cart given some of their big results against big clubs so far this season. There, there is a part of me that hopes so. I'd like to see something different in the Champions League. I'd like to see Aston Villa play Champions League football. It might not happen, but how, how, how much of a triumph that would be for Dean Smith? I, I think it would be, I think it'd be cracking. Listen, Aston Villa have been one of the stories of the season. You have to herald Dean Smith and John Terry as well, particularly when you look at how improved they are defensively. But I think they are just short of being Champions League contenders. They could sneak into a Europa League place, but I'm not even convinced by that, to be what, honest. What's happening with JT? Is he, is he going to end up as the manager of Bournemouth? Is he going to end up leaving in the summer? What, what's the situation with him? Well, I think he would love to end up as the manager of Bournemouth. I know he's been uh, very keen on that job and and certainly has been in contact with the Bournemouth board. I think he's even been interviewed for the job, but they have decided in their wisdom that he perhaps isn't experienced enough at this stage. Mm -hmm. They obviously took a chance with Jason Tindall, a rookie manager, in the summer and in their eyes, that didn't work out. So it looks like a two-horse race now between David Wagner, the former Huddersfield manager, of course, led them into the Premier League, and Patrick Vieira, who I'm told is a live contender. And what gives him the edge over John Terry is he has had that frontline managerial experience. For me, from a media perspective, please give it to Vieira and not Wagner. Um, have we got any inside gen on this, Darren? What, what do you think of those two contenders, Vieira and Wagner? Well, I'd love either of them to get the job. Wagner's had a go before. I'm fascinated by Vieira, big player for Arsenal, as we are a legend for Arsenal. Um, tactically, you know, is he suited to pitting his wits against opposition managers uh, in the Premier League? He's been at Nice in France. That didn't go so well for him. But then, you know, the things haven't gone so well for Wagner outside the Premier League or inside the Premier League, that for that matter. Um, the fascinating aspect of this whole thing is that Woodgate isn't under consideration, especially given that he's had a couple of really good results 
in the last couple of games. So I'm fascinated by that. I would be fascinated by Terry in the role, in a role as well, a managerial role too. Um, we know the job that he's doing defensively with Villa to upset the apple cart and, and many people's expectations, as you were saying earlier. Any one of them would be would would be good for me, I think. Uh, but I'm particularly fascinated by Terry and Vieira in particular. I think Terry will sooner rather than later to go out on his own. I think he felt he had a chance to get the Derby job actually before his England teammate Wayne Rooney. Uh, Kai Bosch that one I think he feels he served his apprenticeship now at Aston Villa and as I say he's done well there because defensively last season they were an absolute shambles and when you've got one of England's best ever centre-halves on the coaching team you, you have to credit their improvement in that area to him uh, Brighton won the reversal 2-1 at uh, Villa Park Welbeck and Solly March on the score sheet they've kept four clean sheets in five league matches Brighton and two out of 11 uh, have been under three goals so it looks like it's going to be a low scorer again at the Amex Stadium when Alex Crook commentates on Brighton half a goal Aston Villa nil on Saturday night at 8 o'clock on Talk Sport that will bring to the end game day um, before that Adrian Durham will be bringing you game day live around the grounds as Crystal Palace take on Burnley at 3 o'clock four wins in six league games for Burnley but things can change very quickly in the Premier League Darren and on the road Burnley have looked more than vulnerable they've lost six of their last 11 league games um, are they still looking over their shoulder? <laughs> Look at you looking at the glass half full for a club that is doing superbly well to compete beyond its resources. Uh, they haven't Just trying to spice up the season, you know. Just spice up the season. Uh, I'm sli- slightly worried that the title's done and the relegation places are already sorted, you know. Look at you putting your suspenders on and trying to sexy up the last few months. <laughs> Not for the first time this week. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think Burnley have got such a fantastic spirit at their club. What they can't forget is to... Do you know what? I wouldn't even suggest they are forgetting their way or losing their way. You look at the two, the three defeats out of the last four. Two of those defeats were to clubs that you would expect them to lose to. Let's not kid ourselves. Chelsea and Manchester City. Uh, the Bournemouth won um, defeat in the FA Cup. Well, you can't really count that because their minds are on staying in the Premier League. So this is a game they absolutely can win against a Palace side that tend to really clock off around the final third of the season. Um, so I could see them going to Palace and winning, absolutely. Um, I think set pieces are going to be their best chance of goals. But even from open players, well, Vidra needs some goals. Vidra doesn't score enough goals for me. But overall, I think they've got a great chance in this one. I think it's absolutely fascinating that you say that because I got here on my little sheet of paper that Palace... Blitz by Leeds on Monday night have an issue because their season is already over. They ain't going to get relegated. They can't win any of the cup competitions. So so what are they doing? I mean, they, they can stay out of the relegation zone. This seems to be a sort of habitual um, Roy Hodgson issue with Crystal Palace. It might not even be Roy Hodgson's issue. It might just be that Crystal Palace have hit their glass ceiling, which is, as a club, they can stay out of the relegation zone, but they can't really do much else which is not great if you're a Crystal Palace fan first and foremost never ever use the word fascinating when you're talking about a Crystal Palace Burnley fixture that is a crime (laughs) against the English language because this game is anything but fascinating it's going to be absolutely dismal two attritional teams and two teams whose seasons are over as you say in both cases I was appalled with Burnley against Bournemouth the other night it was a chance to get into an FA Cup quarter final against a championship side he made changes, 
and they absolutely stank the place out. And I think he's got away lightly, Sean Dyche. And it was Darren Bent talking absolute nonsense on Talk Sport a couple of days ago, saying that West Ham fans... supposed to be your mate. Yeah, but I've had this row of him on the air. West Ham fans would rather finish fifth than win the FA Cup. No, they wouldn't. And Burnley fans don't care if they finish 16th, 17th. They would like to win the FA Cup. So... I think he's disrespected the fans with that team selection, Sean Dyche. He's disrespected the competition. And what is the point in their season now? Because they're not going to go down. They probably are going to finish 16th. And here we are, early February. And in both cases, Palace and Burnley, their campaign has come to a shuddering halt. Um, he would have made less changes, I think, uh, Sean Dyche, had he had realised that Eric Peters uh, <laughs> wasn't suspended or was suspended. Um, because initially uh, Peters was on the team sheet and then someone said oh, oh, no but he was booked in the previous two FA Cup games he can't actually play <laughs> and they had to change the team right at the last moment incredible but I mean what, what's your guys opinion on what I've just said there because I think football clubs misread their fan base as a football fan especially if you're not a supporter of one of the so-called big six you spend your life dreaming of a big day out of Wembley, dreaming of seeing your team lift that trophy high into the sky. So for, for managers in the bottom half of the Premier League to continually keep sending out weakened sides and keep getting knocked out of the FA Cup in the early stages. I never get that. I never get that. And, and, and if you need any sort of barometer as to what fans really think about winning the FA Cup, just go to Wigan and speak to somebody. Do they care about what's Portsmouth? happened since? No, because they enjoyed that day in 2013 when Ben Watson scored that terrific last-minute winner against Manchester City, one of the greatest stories in FA Cup history. So, like, yeah, and I, I happen to know a couple of Wigan fans, and that's all they ever care about. That's all they're ever going to care about because for clubs like that, sometimes winning the FA Cup only ever comes along once. I understand wanting to preserve the future of Burnley Football Club. Uh, I'm more interested in what happens to Crystal Palace because Burnley at least have some sort of excitement in their lives, don't they? They're regularly fighting against relegation. They're trying (laughs) desperately to stay in the league. They get to go to a Sean Dyche press conference where he talks about looky-likes rather than what's actually happening on the field of play. But for Crystal Palace, Darren, I mean, it's become a situation where literally nothing happens at Crystal Palace any- anymore. I mean, maybe that's Roy's biggest triumph, that he's made them so stable, they've become boring. Yeah, that might well be the case. Although I have a feeling that, that Palace may opt for revolution oh, in the summer. Oh, I think we've said well, that before, you know, yeah. I, I, listen, Roy's been excellent for Palace when they, I remember being in uh, the Far East when Frank de Boer explained that he'd been given the mandate to change the style of play at the club. He, it was just a few of us. He's been very candid about the fact that the board had told him they want to see sexier football, basically. And we all know what happened. First yeah. seven games, first all defeats, and Roy was brought in. At that stage, many people believed that Palace were finished and Hodgson saved their lives. But you look at the players whose contracts are running down you look at the fact that Hodgson's contract is running down and you think to yourself, it could well be that Palace are looking for a younger man uh, to re-energise the squad and to go in a different direction. Uh, And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Eddie Howe. Why Eddie Howe? Well, we've had this theory that... um, uh, that over the last couple of months that they've started to allow those contracts to run down because they want to capitalise on the fact there's going to be so many free contracts, free players in the summer that you can sign um, who you're not going to have to pay a transfer fee for because 
obviously the world of football has changed slightly. And we believe that Palace have planned this re- revolution. So they've allowed all this to happen in terms of contracts running down, et cetera, et cetera, and not signing Roy to a new deal so that they can change the manager and change the squad all at the same time. Because if they want to change the way they play, they're going to need to do that. And if they're going to want to design a whole new system of playing football, they're going to need to bring in someone who's got the grand vision and Eddie Howe sort of fits that mm. bill, doesn't he? So yeah, maybe we're putting two and two together and getting five, but that, that's been our sort of philosophy over the last, or our thought process over the last sort of month or so. I mean, Plus I was he was more, off with a job once before, Eddie Howe. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was more just asking why him in particular, why you think it would be him as opposed to even some of the names that we've mentioned already, a John Terry, a Patrick Vieira, you know, a younger guy with... Because I think football in general does need younger guys, fresher Eddie's, Eddie's still young. Eddie I mean, fall, no, Eddie would fall into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think all of the, all of the names that we're discussed, it's good to be discussing those names because beforehand we were talking about recycling some of the older heads who have had between five and 10 jobs already. Uh, and even the ones that had the fewer jobs, they hadn't necessarily been successes, whereas there are other managers champing at the bit to get into the dugout full stop. So again, that's another club where I'm going to be looking very closely to see what direction. Are you suggesting that they shouldn't bring back Steve Bruce? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's it's an interesting point though, because speaking to to someone at Bournemouth yesterday, and I mentioned a couple of names, Poulis and and, and Pearson and even Paul Cook, who've all shown an interest in the job. They don't want to pick someone off the managerial merry-go-round. I think this could be a problem uh, for the likes of Poulis and Pearson moving forward because I think clubs are going away from that direction. I think actually West Brom with Sam Allardyce, they might be the last club to go down that particular route. I think the young, fresh idea is the way that clubs now want to want to go moving forward. Okay. You say uh, the, a bit of a problem. Tony Pulis has had 10... 11 managerial No, I agree. I agree. I agree. He's not been a struggle for the rest of his life. I've been to his house, Darren. He isn't struggling, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, at the end of the the day, at some stage, you can retire. You can come off the conveyor belt. Southampton five Premier League defeats on the spin. Ralph Hasselhutl, it's his worst run as Southampton boss. The last points we took it was against Liverpool at home, and since then we we didn't do it anymore. Two Ings inside the penalty area, and this time Danny Ings does score. We have to find quick the reset button to to show that we can do it much better, and uh, this is what we have to do. And it's it first time of the volley, and it's a brilliant goal by Neto, and Wolves lead by two goals to nil. When we speak about raising our standards, is uh, due because our stands were really high. Silver strokes the ball inside the six-yard box beyond the goalkeeper button. Sunday's going to be very tough for us, but we want to compete, so let's try and do it. Southampton against Wolverhampton Wanderers is a noon Sunday kickoff, followed by West Bromwich Albion against Manchester United, Arsenal against Leeds, and Everton against Fulham. Should we start with Saints against Wolves? Saints five consecutive league defeats, including uh, to Newcastle and the nine nil against Manchester United. This game comes hours after these two have played in the cup. I suppose whoever loses that game, a bit like Palace, is in that predicament where the whole season is over in February. How do you stop that drift? 
was very difficult, particularly in Southampton's case. I've got a table here, actually, of uh, the net spend of Premier League clubs over the last 10 transfer windows. Southampton, 20th out of 20 in terms of money spent in those transfer windows. That's net spend though, isn't it? Because that's net spend. they've yeah. got a little bit more to play with in the, because of the fact that they've sold so many big players, right? Yes. Um, although I think they're now running out of players to sell in all honesty, apart from Danny Ings. And it's interesting, the ownership situation there. I think Ralph Hasenhutl, as I touched on last week, he's getting a bit frustrated now. I think he feels he's working with probably both hands tied behind his back when you look at the, the lack of resources. They were in talks with an American businessman by the name of uh, Joseph de Grosser, who I think has also shown an interest in Newcastle in the past. He was Bordeaux owner, and he's now turning his attentions towards Crystal Palace, as I understand it. So that's another interesting dynamic for them. They could have a new owner, a new manager, and about 15 new players next summer. But uh, he's not happy with the asking price um, that Southampton have put on themselves. Uh, they value the club at £200 million. He wants an 80% stake, which of course would be £160 million. He's walked away. I know of at least three other interested parties and I've spoken to one former Premier League chief executive who's been sniffing around Southampton for a while. He thinks they're a bargain at £200 million. I think it's imperative now uh, in terms of keeping Hasenhutl and challenging for Europe, which is what he wants to do, that they do get new owners and owners who are willing to back their manager with a proper transfer kitty. So fingers crossed Southampton fans. I'm, I'm not saying it's close, but there is interest and there is a willingness as well uh, on behalf of the Gal family, who are the majority shareholders, to sell their stake. Well, they've done nothing with the club since they've owned it, really, have they? I mean, it's just it's just stayed still. They've been lucky enough to stay in the Premier League because they've got a good manager in Ralph Hasenhutl. Why do, why do owners buy football clubs in this country? It's because we have the richest league in the world and they want to avail themselves of some of those finances. That's not casting any kind of aspersion. It's just it's business. fact. It's yeah. business. They, they wanted and to try and sell it for more than they bought it. Absolutely. And when you talk about why clubs don't, pay stronger sides in the in the FA Cup you've answered your own question clubs don't play stronger sides in the FA Cup because there's no money in it there is money in staying in the Premier League mm. so when you say they've not done anything with Southampton they don't have to do anything they simply have to stay in the Premier League and if they develop players that other clubs buy for exorbitant amounts of money they've had a result Maintaining the status quo is actually more important than having any sort of glory, really, isn't it? Because the longevity in the Premier League earns you a certain reputation, therefore being able to sell that entity, which is what both Katarina Liebherr, who inherited the club from her, her father when he died prematurely, and the Gao family have wanted to do. I mean, they're, they're not really interested in running a football club, are they? No, not at all. And, and you know... I don't want to criticise them for that because that might well be where they, they feel um, they're saying that if you look around the Premier League, you could level that at any other steward of the, the football club. So I don't want to criticise them for that, but I don't think we should kid ourselves about the fact that they've done any less for Southampton than any other chairman or owner has done for their football club. The money is in staying in the top division of English football. Yeah, uh, and the likelihood is, is that they will they will do that. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers have had a difficult season themselves, actually. Willie Bully is injured at the moment. Um, they haven't played particularly well. Goal scoring has been an issue despite the acquisition of Willie and Jose. Um, so uh, Nuno Espirito Santo has, has had his troubles. I don't really know how Wolves get out of that situation. They've just sort of got to grind themselves to safety and then go again in the summer, haven't they? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think speaking to Nuno and speaking to people behind the scenes there, they always saw this as a, a potentially tricky season, losing Yotta and, and Doherty and obviously the injury to to him. Some positive uh, comments actually from Nuno about Jimenez this week and about the fact he is on, on course to make a full recovery, which is fantastic news. I mean, I think it's unlikely that we'll see him play again this season, but he will be like a new signing when he comes back. Um they're treading water at the moment, Wolves, because they're not in danger of going down, but clearly they're not going to hit the heights they have in the last two seasons. And I've got to say as well, they've become a bit dull to watch them, they Wolves. They're not particularly exciting. I guess in some ways they never really were. They were just pretty economical with the chances that came their way. Uh, talking about teams that aren't particularly exciting, Arsenal take on Leeds at 4.30 on Sunday. And it's a big test this um, for Mikel Arteta, Darren, because... They've suffered back-to-back defeats and face a lead side that score goals, which is a problem because Arsenal don't. Yeah, yeah, I think you summed it up really well. And it looked for a time as though they were back in business. They had just one defeat in, what was it, eight games? And they were scoring goals and they were keeping clean sheets. And then they had that complete nightmare um, at Wolves. And since then, in the subsequent game, they look shaky. Again, Villa really rocked them. They're at home, but again, you've got no fans. And as everyone has been saying, it doesn't really matter whether you are home or away. A week Last week, the day before we did the podcast, I think they were all away wins in the Premier League. Yes. So it, Leeds have got a great chance. Leeds will take the game to them. Obviously, the way Leeds play, they will leave space in behind. I think Saka, if he is back, will be a huge fillip for Arsenal because he has so much energy about the way that he plays. If Martinelli is available as well, that will be a big plus as well. It's the the, the kids who are really carrying their season. I know everyone raves about the senior players, but the senior players got so much ego about them. They, they can just you don't know which ones will turn up from one week to the next. Hopefully, if the kids are available, they get through this one. Um, look, and obviously, a lot of people uh, thought that Arsenal were f- turning the corner over the Christmas period, and Mikel Arteta had, had put the um, had put the, the world to rights. But let's go back to the thirteenth of December. They lost to Burnley, then they drew with Southampton, then they lost at away at Everton, then they lost at Manchester City. We're at the twenty second of December now. And then they beat Chelsea, which was no great shakes because Chelsea at that time, let's be honest, were having a bit of a bad spell. Um, they then beat Brighton just about by one goal to nil. They then beat West Brom. Well, come on. Um, then they beat our, uh, Newcastle in the FA Cup after extra time in a game in which you commentated, Crook. They were dreadful in for 90 minutes and then did better in extra time. Um, they then played Crystal Palace at home on a Thursday night. I did that game. It was, was nil-nil. It was absolutely Awful. It was a dreadful, dreadful football match. Uh, they then beat Newcastle again. They lost to Southampton in the FA Cup. They then uh, beat Southampton away from home, which was a really good performance, but Southampton actually had some big injuries during that match. They then drew 0-0 with Manchester United, in which was another game which wasn't particularly great. Um, they lost to Wolves, despite the fact that Wolves were having such a troubled time, and they had a lot of chance in that match, didn't put them away. Then they went to Aston Villa and lost. So... They're 11th for a reason, this team. And that reason is they ain't actually very good. I think I said at the time when everyone was saying, well, they've turned a corner, Arteta's got it right. They were beating teams they should be beating. And apart from Chelsea, you've just highlighted there, they didn't really beat anybody. And I don't expect them to win this game. Um, I was really impressed with Leeds against Palace on Monday night. And I want to pay tribute to to Patrick Banford. Nothing revelatory there. But I think the biggest um, tribute you can pay 
is that you'd have been surprised if he didn't score against Crystal Palace. And we're now going into matches in the Premier League expecting Patrick Bamford to come up with a goal. And I don't think anybody would have predicted that at the start of the season. And against this Arsenal defence, with the Gunners still struggling to fire as a forward force, I fancy Bamford again. I fancy Bielsa to, to win the game. They should have won the game when these two met at Ellen Road. Obviously, we had the, the ridiculous red card, which actually suited Arsenal because then they could just park the bus um, and, and defend for their lives. They're going to have to be a bit more expansive as this is a home game and I think Leeds will pick them off. He hasn't you know, played any... Sorry. Add to that, you know, you said that actually they're not very good. They've played 23 games. So I was just looking at the table while you were talking and so many of the teams around them have played a game less. Yeah. So one, yeah. if those games were, if those teams were to win those games, Arsenal's real position will be even further down the table. Uh, well, and what if I, Aston Villa and Everton even get a couple of points in the in the two games that they're um, yeah. owed, then they'll be so far away from finishing in the top eight that it's frightening. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that Arsenal at the moment, this is a real reflection of where they are. And it's not just about what they've done on the pitch. It's their transfer policy as well. They've bought, they've spent fortunes on footballers in terms of transfer fees or giving them exorbitant wages. And those players, A, haven't delivered, B, have been sold or given away because they've allowed their contracts to run down and they've not done enough to sell them when they've indicated that they didn't want to commit themselves to the club. Or C, sold them for, for, for you know, they've given them big wages when they've extended their deals and those players have either been an utter disaster like Mesut Ozil or they've been very unlucky with, as with Aubameyang. But at the moment, the club is in a mess. Clearly. Have they been um, unlucky with Aubameyang? Or was the simple truth, the only reason that he signed the new contract was A, because they were chucking a vast amount of money at him and B, because nobody else wanted him. I'm not sure they have been unlucky with Aubameyang. Um, I think only unlucky with him in so much as at the start of the season, he went through a run that any striker could go through. Um, and obviously he's had his own personal problems in recent weeks. And obviously we started the show, didn't we, about maybe just a note of caution to remember that these are guys with lives as with Jurgen Klopp. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he had been available uh, for a couple of the games, perhaps they might not have been as toothless as they were up front. So, so there have been moments in this season where they've been unlucky in not having him, but his goal record tells us all. And we talked about Harry Kane. You can be a brilliant striker in an ordinary side. And I think that sums up Aubameyang. I think Arsenal when David Dean was there and even going further back, used to be one of the best run clubs in the country. That was 25 years ago. They're now one of the worst run clubs in the country, in my opinion. Mm, well, Leeds United obviously are enjoying life. Uh, they're looking as if they're heading for a top 10 finish. I mean, they might be fighting Arsenal uh, for a top 10 finish uh, by the end of the season. Bamford, 12 goals in 22 starts this season. Doesn't play any of the cup games. Doesn't play any of the extra extra matches that are on the schedule. Just concentrates on the Premier League. He's yielded around about a goal every other game. In fact, his ratio is better than that. So he should be champion because that's it. That's the mark of an elite striker. And he's excellent at laying off stuff to uh, to other players as well. His assists are through the roof. Excellent performance from him. Uh, he captains himself in fantasy football, which means he believes in his ability. I captain him too. He is in my draft team and I'm delighted to have him. Paddy B, we're behind you. 
Um, West Bromwich Albion against Manchester United is a two o'clock kickoff. Um, Eleven points from safety. West Brom one win in fourteen. They shouldn't have uh, a hope in hell against Manchester United if United have woken up from Tuesday night's snooze fest. West Brom are going to lose. They lose at home <laughs> at the moment. I have no idea why. United will win. They'll win comfortably, and the world will keep turning. Okay, uh, West Bromwich Albion failed to score in seven of their eleven home matches. Are you interesting? You say why? Why are they? Will they lose at home? Well, that's a good point, isn't it? Because everybody's losing at home, and and it's sort of, you scratch the head as to why that could be the case. Because most of these matches now feel a little bit like training games, so it shouldn't matter the destination of them. No, no, I don't think it does, actually, uh, which is why so many teams are losing at home, because home advantage has been taken away. I think West Brom need to be more ambitious and more expansive than they were against Tottenham last week, as I mentioned. <laughs> well, on, that's not on, a good on, idea, is well, it? <laughs> well, as I mentioned on Monday's pod, they basically went to Tottenham uh, with the aim of not conceding that they're not good enough to keep a clean sheet. They won't be good enough to keep a clean sheet against this Manchester United side. And if United's attitude is right, uh, and when I say attitude they can't turn up as they did at home to Sheffield United and just expect to roll them over because that doesn't happen in the Premier League but if they're on their A game if Fernandez starts if he picks a strong team United should continue their impressive away record and it's also Edinson Cavani's 34th birthday on Sunday so uh, many happy returns and let's hope he can get in amongst the goals again we can't hear you Crook he's a listener he's, he's a big fan of the game day podcast <laughs> massive um, I don't think he can speak English, can he, Edison Cavani? He's using us to, to, to learn. All oh, right, okay. We're like Duolingo for Cavani, are we? <laughs> um, on, on Manchester United, are we totally sure, Darren, totally sure that they can't win the title? No, um, but I, I just, there is so much, I, it's, it's really curious. There's so much I don't like about this United side. Their home record isn't as good as made out. They drew against Everton at home in their last game in the Premier League. They lost to Sheffield United at home. They've been held by Liverpool at home. Their away record is much better, but then you look at their record against the top teams and it's very poor. So there there should be a lots of reasons why they shouldn't be in contention, but you have to respect where they are. You have to. And for all of the negatives, and I've been critical of Solskjaer and their approach, but you have to respect them. So yes, they are there. And no, I don't think we are sure that they're out of it. I think that having engineered themselves into that position, there is still every chance while there is so much football to be played. Shall I make another naked pledge at no, this point? No, no, <laughs> Do Do something we actually want you to do. Like, I don't know, disappear for five years or something. I'm going to have to do that if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wins the title anyway. <laughs> My career is over. Why don't God, you... Why don't I you, really want them to win it. Why don't you do, 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 uh, donate your fee for this podcast to charity? If I don't think they'd be able to buy much with it, Darren, to be honest. <laughs> but it might have to be for the Lucy's whole year. Lucy's not that generous. <laughs> Uh, talking of generous uh, Fulham take on Everton at Goodison Park uh, Fulham 14 matches without a win uh, Calvert-Lewin though a major concern after coming off with an injury in that Spurs win I understand it's a hamstring injury Darren and those things don't heal overnight no they don't and if he, if they lose him it's a big miss Everton they get on a roller then they lose players did it earlier in the season when they lost Hamez, they lost Richarlison um, and, and it's just happened at various occasions where they've looked as though they were going to bounce back into form and then suddenly they lose another key player. And so if they've got to address something in the summer, it's going to have to be the depth of their squad. Totally. What's quite good this time around is that 
they've got King uh, because King's deal is only very short term, isn't it, Crook? End of the season, yeah. Yeah, so when they get to the summer, they are going to have to either address his deal, depending on how he does, or get another striker in. But they can't keep finding themselves in this position where they're losing players and it affects their form so markedly. Um, hopefully King will be okay. Um, the signs look okay so far. Yeah, he can't play um, in the FA Cup though, can he? Which is a bit of a, a, a pain in the backside, seeing as that's probably going to end up being Everton's best route to glory. Yeah, um, and also that would give them the chance to, to rest Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which I think ideally Carlo Ancelotti would, would want to do, but he just say he's cup-tied, having played and scored for Bournemouth in the competition. I want to pick out Tom Davis here um, for special oh, praise. He's been I know in that new role. Our colleague Adrian Durham has, has long been banging the Tom Davis drum. I've not really seen it, but he was great against Manchester United and, and his character uh, really epitomised their spirit to get back in that game. And I thought he was fabulous in that, in that 5-4 yeah. against Spurs they, as well. They stumbled along the, uh, upon this, didn't they? You know, he, he sort of had to fill in in that defensive midfield position alongside Decore, even sometimes a little bit deeper than him, almost like the destroyer, winning back possession, stopping people from getting forward and then getting the ball forward very, very quickly. And I think, you know, sometimes you do get a little bit lucky, Darren, don't you? You, need, you find yourself in a situation where because of injuries, because of suspension, whatever, someone has to do a job and then that ends up becoming their job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's his attitude more than anything to embracing the new role. <laughs> Look, I know we want to give credit to him and we should do because he's done fantastically well, but it's another tick in the box of Carlo Ancelotti yeah. because he's been so brilliant for so many players going to that club. Calvert-Lewin was an ordinary journeyman striker. Journeyman, you, you know what I mean. He was an ordinary striker that people didn't look twice at. And since he's arrived, he scored 20... He scored more goals than he's got. I think more than doubled the goals that he scored last season. Quadrupled the output since he's taken over. There you go. And then you look at uh, Tom Davis, again, had a good start to his career, then appeared to be drifting. And suddenly he, he's revitalised again. And it's all down to Ancelotti. And I, I, it's wonderful for the player himself because, as I say, his attitude to it's been brilliant. But a real tick in the box of Ancelotti. You can see why so many players want to work with him. No, I want to work with him because he's such a happy guy all the time. He's so sort of relaxed the way he deals with things. You know, they scored their fifth goal in the match in extra time to win it. And he's sitting there with a cup of coffee and he just goes, yeah. I think if I worked with him, he might make my question shorter. I, I think it, one touch in the box, Darren. One touch in the box. That's the, that's the, that's the way uh, Pippo in my argument. Yeah, and me, and me and Crook might get our stats right. <laughs> Let's just discuss very quickly uh, that, that issue about uh, strength in depth because that was apparent on uh, Wednesday night because they only named seven substitutes, Everton, in that game against Tottenham. I mean, it's a bit of a sad indictment when you looked at the two benches, how strong Tottenham's bench was in comparison to Everton's, who had two goalkeepers who barely have played, by the way, Jao Virginia and Harry Tyra. Um, and then you you had another um, a young kid who's never played for the first team before, and then three players that are really on the periphery of the first team. So they had seven substitutes, of which four of them weren't really ever involved in, 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 in the first team before. That shows just how sort of shallow the squad is. And that is something that if they want Carlo Ancelotti to start challenging for top honours, they need to address. Yeah, but I think you have to give Carlo Ancelotti a lot of credit as well because clearly he identified the players that he really wanted in the summer. And again, in this transfer window, he knew that he wanted a backup striker for Calvert-Lewin. He got that late in the day, obviously signed a new goalkeeper in the summer 
Alan, when he's fit, has been exceptional. James oh, Rodriguez yeah. has been a great signing as well. So it's not a scattergun approach from Carlo Ancelotti. He's very pinpointed. He's very clear on what he needs to improve the squad. Mm-hmm. And he isn't just going to waste the owner's money as some previous Everton managers have done. Okay, thank you very much to Alex Crook, Talk Sports Transfer Guru. He's been working away in the background of this uh, um, podcast today on his phone all the time, looking at, at what he can uh, possibly find out for us. I mean, he hasn't brought anything to the table. Maybe he was just placing his bets for the afternoon's horse racing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and thank you very much to uh, Darren Lewis for his elongated answers. We've appreciated those uh, because we needed to fill the time. Um, Darren, you shouldn't be paranoid about that. We like elongated answers. It gives Lucy some work to do. Um, I know that's what you pay me for to be yeah, fair exactly uh, don't tell Crook we pay you <laughs> right uh, that's it from us we'll be uh, in fact Crook will be back on Monday because Crook's going to host the podcast this week uh, I'm going to be I'm at Dancing on chair. Ice I'm in the big chair yeah so, so uh, yeah, don't mess it up we've got quite a lot of listeners at the moment you know things are going quite well if you couldn't not ruin it that would be great can you give me the keys to your box of cheesy puns? I think that'd be really helpful. I'll tell you what, just concentrate on not annoying Leeds fans, Newcastle fans, Southampton fans, Manchester United fans, uh, uh, the Liverpool fans, the list goes on. If you're listening to this and you're wondering how I feel, I feel like you'd feel if you're at a dinner party and the husband and the wife start arguing with each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I will be back next Thursday. Um, so uh, enjoy, keep downloading the Game Day podcast from Talk Sports. Subscribe, please, and tell all your friends about it. And enjoy your weekend of football. Game Day is back on Saturday on Talk Sport with back-to-back commentaries from the Premier League. Three of them, in fact. And we've got games on Talk Sport 2 from the Championship as well. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.